Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Lubrication Experts. Obviously, for people familiar with the podcast, you know what the deal is. Um, today, um, I'm joined by some of the members of one of BHP's uh, reliability engineering teams. Um, so we've got um, Basin and uh, Asafi with me today, and we might have some people uh, join uh, mid-podcast. We'll see how that goes. Um, uh, they're going to sort of talk a little bit about reliability, lubrication, asset management, you know, within the mining industry, um, obviously without getting into uh, too much specific detail. Um, so just to jump really straight in, I think it would be helpful to sort of get a, a bit of context on, on the mining industry in general. Everyone has had, let's say, a pretty rough 24 months. I think it doesn't matter where in the world you are or what industry you've been in. Uh, last 24 months has been uh, pretty crazy. But in particular, you know, a lot of the noise or the news around the mining industry has been like this roller coaster of commodity price fluctuations, shipping uh, issues, uh, geopolitical tensions, both globally as well as in our own region, right? Um, so just to get a feel for how the mining industry is doing, is, are things starting to return to normal or is it still, is it still crazy? Hi, thank you so much for inviting us and, and, and this created uh, in, in engineering conversations in industry is, is uh, evolving today. So that's great. Thank you for that. Uh, so yeah, I'm working for BHP as a superintendent reliability program in operation services. Uh, yeah, you're right. Look, in, in the mining industry is currently a reasonably solid uh, player in the world economy, if you, if you, if you like. Uh, when you see the trends in business movements are all about the pre-pandemic levels till end of last year. Uh, and yet most of them are um, rather increasing. In accordance with the global data records, you might have seen on the news, have a look at the hiring rates in mining. Uh, new business startups and project stock prices are recovering. Uh, and it all shows that mining is one of the industries, the minor impacts for COVID-19 recovery in comparison to all other sectors, um, to, be, to be honest. So that's what's happening in mining. And this has been a steep uh, learning curve for all of us to understand the expectations from governments, business, individuals. Um, but my view, mining industry has shown the adaptability and resilience and compassion through its response to the pandemic uh, already and reorganizing the volumes. It did most come from the diversity of the commodities. Uh, that's the benefit that you have the options available and it has to be con it has to continue regardless of any other industries the starting point one of the first engineering in the history and the stock prices even did uh, increase um, approximately 32 percent increased in all sectors in average and 17.4 percent uh, higher hiring levels in recruitment as well. So I must say, um, we were in the strong space compared to any other industries and then it's, it's getting better. And I'm, I just think it's because of the, the level of the uh, capital world uh, and why it has to be done that way, uh, that risk management was already in place because of safety reasons and other things, uh, more resilient and it's going in the positive uh, direction, I think. Yeah, that's, re that's really interesting. And it's, uh, you know, one of the pleasures of my job, I guess, is I get to talk to people across so many different industries. Um, I guess in, in Australia in particular, uh, mining is, uh, it's kind of like top of the tree when it comes to 
you know, its capacity for investment, but even like you were talking a little bit about um, acquisition of talent too. You know, when you said hiring is up by 17%, um, you know, mining has always been like a very big draw um, for engineers, as tradespeople, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's all it's it's often interesting to see the trickle down effect of that too, right? Because those people come from somewhere, uh, and often it's often it's other industries. Um, so so really really interesting to see the kind of like the recovery and and uh, even the way that the, the the mining industry was able to uh, continue on, you know, through through the pandemic, despite uh, well certainly in Australia. Uh, not only the turning off the tap of of foreign arrivals, but also uh, domestic travel was was quite uh, restricted as well. So, so thanks for that kind of high level overview. Um, maybe that uh, where I'd like to get to here is mining, um, and, and especially the the larger miners, the likes of yourselves and your you know Rio Tintos and Glencores and things like that. It's very um, very capital intensive, and uh, you know a lot of the the big equipment, I guess, uh, you know, in a crude way is very expensive. Um, and therefore, you know, it seems like you guys place a, a very high premium on being able to ma maintain those assets, uh, maybe more so than we see in, in other industries. So with that view, um, where, do you, where, where is a lot of the focus at the moment? Is it on getting the fundamentals right? Or is it on, you know, digitizing assets? Is it, you know, where are you guys kind of spending, uh, or where do you see people spending a lot of your, their time? I agree with Burchin on the first one. Uh, mining wasn't really much impacted COVID, and we had really quick um, recovery because of the of the assets, especially companies with the with diverse commodities. Um, they had a really V care recovery, and we are I think in better place than we were. And with the new normal, and um, it's going good. It's going good, good so far, uh, which is good. But in regards to the second question, um, where our focus is. Um, in the past few years, I think we had a big shift from, you know, just um, fixing forever to fix forever. And basically, we're have going through this shift through the use of big data and especially in maintenance. In maintenance, um, there's a big focus now in the past few years, um, making decisions, going through like, you know, everything we do is basically there's a big motivation. There's a big push to be data based, uh, to be data supported. And this gives us that, um, you know, that that privilege to be able to use that um, that that assets that we have. And you're true; it is capital intensive. Um, all the all, everything we have on my side is super expensive and super large. So, <laughs> so using the data and the good, um, I believe, reliable engineering, good teams we have, we work together, and to be able to make the most out of it. So the more available we can make the equipment, the more we can use them, the more we can make the most out of them. So I think in the past years, yeah, as I said, that the focus is really on using data to be able to make the most out of these assets, to be able to use them as much as we can. I agree, I agree, you're right. So big data for sure is, is key for us. And because we are immature in a way in terms of technology applications, considering manufacturing and all other industries, they are in the short term, Phase and we are in the long-term business, we are a little bit slow compared to others, I think, and we are getting there now and we do see the benefit already. The other things that I must say that definitely will be in artificial intelligence, automation, robotics, digitalization, electrification, and more into to understand the machine learning activities to predict 
the feature, like using the sensors, like Asafi was saying, understand the real-time concerns and respond to situations before it happens. Um, but traditionally, we used to understand the root cause uh, for the things already happen. And, and the engineering wasn't really key um, before. So nowadays, you don't have any other choice. So engineering will deliver the outcomes for us because it's all knowledge-driven. Uh, and reliability will sort of manage uh, the initial aspects of it. So we will be able to create that holistic view to see where are the gaps, which tools and system will help us to maintain that um, granular contextual way of explaining the issue to the um, wider businesses. So that's, uh, that's exciting times. I'm very happy to see that change. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of things that I wouldn't mind picking up on there. And the first being, um, you know, relating it back to what we talked about with uh, talent acquisition, right? Yes. So, so big data kind of requires maybe a little bit of a different skill set than than yes. traditionally what we've we've had in the past. So, um, how are how do you see the industry kind of tackling that? Is it that we're bringing on uh, talent from, let's say, adjacent industries that have big data experience? Or is it more of a matter of taking your current, you know, existing crop of engineers who understand, the, you know, the machinery and reliability environment and giving them data skills? It's a bit of both because the current population, current technical knowledge and how many people we have will, will not be enough. That's why you will see most of the companies already highlighting the benefits of inclusion and diversity. So it's not so much, to be quite honest as a woman, it's not so much because they like women and they did have the pity to support them moving forward. It was more like we have to do that way. Like for business profit-wise, workforce has to be there, not only the physical asset management or the technical management anymore. So we need those people. And, and sometimes people do have misunderstand um, do to misunderstand why uh, we have automation in place, which means we are going to need less people. No, <laughs> we will need more people with different skill sets. So then the mechanical engineering, reliability engineering role will be called maybe application engineering, and it will be combined with data scientists and data analysts or health, health um, specialists. Uh, but you are right. So there will be new roles, new skill sets. And we need to get ready. So that's um, that's certainly something that we need to take into account. And and it will start with inclusion and diversity, uh, I think, to to be able to manage that demand coming. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting perspective on. Um, so on a previous episode of this podcast, we actually talked to a um, HR specialist out of the UK, um, a company called ABN Resources, and he he spoke a little bit to uh, the business benefits of diversity and sort of inclusion. Um, drivers within the industry and, and just saying look, the reality is that we need more people with more diverse skill sets um, and so that that's that's really interesting to, to hear that that message resonates uh, in the industry as well um, maybe just to, to pivot a little bit and talk a bit more in specifics about lubricants and and lubrication um, just to tie it to that sort of big data aspect traditional condition monitoring of uh, lubricants has been you know, you take oil analysis, um, you you get the reports back, you read the reports, and then you take action on that basis. Um, versus um, maybe I think some of the approaches that I'm starting to see a little bit more of is to incorporate 
all of those results into, let's say, either a data lake or a, or a warehouse or you know whatever your your chosen uh, structure is, um, and and try to incorporate that into a sort of a wider context where it can then let's say spit out insights, uh, and you can use those to inform uh, maintenance and reliability practices. Is that kind of the step that the industry is at now? Um, and and what kind of insights do do you feel are being sort of generated from that? Um, I think in um, in in mining, so oil analysis is also one source of of data, and um, so we have a lot of a lot of sources of data. I think, in, especially in the mining industry, there are lots of uh, as Burchin mentioned, there's a big investment on like all the sensors, all the things that we can get data from. But to me, the main thing is not just getting the data. Is like you can have a mountain of data, but if you can't really analyze it, if you can't really look into it, what's the point of having all that data? And as you mentioned, like, you know, sometimes um, people just look into, oh, is it red? So we need to do something. But they're not actually reading that data. Um, in, in, in mining industry, I've been here for like four years, and um, I'm seeing that we are actually starting to make the most out of these lubricants, the most out of these oil analysis, the more, like, you know, understanding what the additives are, what, the, what, what role they play. Um, when, when there's a change in, in like, you know, one of the additives, when there's a change in the characteristics of the oil, what does this mean? Like, you know, so we can shift our, so I think to me, um, lubricants or oil analysis is one of the main things engineers can use to shift the equipment to being more proactive rather than waiting for something to fail and then we replace it. So basically from oil analysis or from the lubricants, the, the, the type of lubricant we use and the way we analyze it, we can really make it most, we can, if we make most out of it, if we, if we are able to get the most data out of that lubricants, we will be able to move the machines to more proactive. So we can fix, the, fix something before they fail. So we can make the most out of it. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a big a big focus on special oil analysis, special big companies. There are new roles now being advertised, and their job is just to read oil. And yeah, so just a few days back, I was looking at one of the roles, and so the role is only analysis, lubricant analysis, lubricant specialist. So they just do the oil lubricant um, analysis for across like you know multiple sites in one company. So it is good to see that shift. To see that shift actually we're using the data not just having it all this time we were having it but now we're actually making the most out of it yeah that that's uh that's really encouraging to hear and and maybe just asking here for a maybe a little bit of a personal opinion i guess um how, how do you guys feel about the, the level of knowledge that's available and maybe some context for this question right is that the the lubricants industry itself, and this is something we've talked about on this podcast, has suffered from a pretty big brain drain over the last uh, five to 10 years. Um, a lot of the majors are, for example, dismantling technical teams, getting rid of their engineering services divisions. Um, and there's really, and, and a lot of people, uh, we had, a, let's say, a demographic that was heavily weighted towards engineers that were close to retirement age. And COVID was in, in many cases, the thing that pushed a lot of those people in, into retirement, either by choice or not. Um, so within the lubricants industry, we are struggling to find people that understand lubricants. Um, so uh, it then, our, our kind of expectation was that industry being one step even further removed from that industry would have great difficulty in finding people that understand 
you know the finer details of lubricant testing and chemistry and, and things like that. Um, in in your experience, uh, you know, generally across the industry, what, what's your experience of that knowledge level been? Yeah, I'll just say a small short answer and then Boshin can build up on that. Um, I think you have the skill shortages, not just across um, oil and gas industry, but across all industries. We have this, um, we have this shortage and, and it's globally. Like, you know, I have my family in all over the world, they work and they all are suffering from the same thing. And um, I think that the, the plan or the thing um, that big companies need to do is COVID was a good chance to to show the, show the companies that flexible work and working online is fine and it can it can happen it's, it's it's fine and once once big companies believe in this they can use like you know employees from all over the world so if you want an engineer that knows lubricants they don't have to be in in the country they can be anywhere in the world you can use them they can work like you know, remotely online you can just use their knowledge because and this covid was really good uh, good um, good period to show the companies that it is possible and then we need to step you know quicker towards that and this skill shortage i think will make it will make us even move quicker towards towards that um, that you know remote remote employees or you know outsourcing it to different companies yeah that's that's right look i agree 100% definitely there is a gap in the in the skills and training and it is because i didn't think we were prioritizing as such uh, the impact on lubricants when I do based on my experience there's not this, nothing specific here I think it's more than 40 percent of the time you will decrease the maintenance cost mm -hmm. if you keep an eye on your lubricants um, even in, in mining industry in mobile equipment space and this is based on the number of issues and chronic events we are looking and trying to deep dive into the grease and lubricants the quality level uh, and, and in terms of safety as well, like many of the dangers uh, associated with mining stem um, from interactions between people and machinery, choosing a lubricant that reduces maintenance requirements um, and breakdowns will mean the employees spend less time in potentially um, dangerous situations like risky situations at, at the plant or, or, or workshop. A lubricant with longer drain and Lubrication intervals can also help to reduce the risk to staff uh, by lowering the number of times they need to carry out those maintenance tasks. So regardless of uh, today's condition, as I said, this is a must now, uh, not only in mining and oil and gas, so we definitely get ready for the impact because it's going to be a concern uh, considering all the robotics and autonomy, artificial intelligence, database decision-making, uh, we have to develop ourselves in this space and, and, and make sure people dedicated to these roles understand these requirements and the lubricants quality and importance um, in, in Greece, of course, uh, in, in, relevant to the, to the conversations. But I'm not sure we are there yet. So these conversations will help us to educate and trigger the businesses more uh, and people will be more interested in. Uh, and then I think we will and get the buying in uh, from the leadership teams to, to keep an eye on it and support more. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. And, and just as we, as we start to close out here, I always like to sort of finish off with uh, a bit of a look into the, like the crystal ball, <laughs> look into the future. Um, this is obviously where we get into wild speculation, but, you know, within the mining industry um, specifically, 
if you could kind of look 10 years into the future, um, where do you see the future of, uh, let's say, like reliability and asset management, lubrication, condition monitoring? You know, we've, we've sort of said that at the moment we're going through a bit of a, uh, a step change when it comes to uh, data um, collection of data, using it to inform insights. And what do you see as being sort of maybe like the next step change that you would like to see, uh, you know, 10 years into the future? Um, yeah, we, we have discussions with Burton, um, yeah sometimes about that. <laughs> um, she would be a better person to ask, actually. But I will give you a small, like, what I think would be like. Um, to me, I think, you know, when I close my eyes, think about 10 years into future, I see, like, a mindset, um, it's a no-human zone. So humans wouldn't be working anymore in the pits or in, in, in a mindset. It will be very minor. People might be working there to just, you know, just adjust some things in 10 years, probably in 20 years, you wouldn't even have that small number of people in there. And I think, um, you know, machines with the 5G technology we have with all the communication, advanced communication we have, machines will be able to actually speak to with, with one another. So, you know, production wise, we have, we are seeing a lot of um, autonomous trucks and um, in, in one, two years, probably, um, we have the technology, but I hadn't seen it yet. Um, our diggers will probably be autonomous too. Mm-hmm. And then all our our machinery will be autonomous. So this is production-wise. And when we come to maintenance-wise, um, um, our machines are getting really smart. So from, from the data we are getting from machines, we can actually um, get a lot out of them to see what's, what's wrong. And if we move with this pace, and I'm sure there are lots of technologies which we are not aware of yet, and um, if we move in this space, even maintenance wouldn't be an issue. Finding the defect, um, you know, fixing the defect wouldn't be an issue. So we wouldn't need humans um, to be there. And this is great, I think. Well, this will help us a lot. Like once we get, we can get all this right, I think in 10 years, um, it will be super safe place. So we wouldn't, everyone will be like, you know, um, you know, they can work remotely from like the different places. They can work from Brisbane while controlling all the equipment there. Um, I don't have to be on site. I can just from my computer, look at the data, send it to Burchin. Burchin can just <laughs> present. <laughs> so I think the future is really just, you know, no humans on and everything will be automated. And from the data, we remotely will be controlling everything in a, in a, on, in a mind site. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, so yeah we do always chat about this what's going to happen in the future are we going to run into the metaverse environment and walk at the mindset test the issues in advance uh, like a day before and then see if it's going to work or not something like this so yeah look i agree so human element uh, will play a different role in the future it's not necessarily we will not have people working on it we will have more people working on it but in a different environment and a different skill set so that's for sure. And and considering the um, global warming and all, I think electrification and and hydrogen will be key for us to um, to watch uh, and observe. It's already happening. Uh, but these are the things. And blockchain, for example, will be continue to evolve uh, in mining, uh, and it will impact a lot more. Uh, and at, especially in terms of, uh, I do feel like the 3D printing coming from manufacturing will also will be key for maybe mining for the parts to be printed moving forward. I'm not sure I, it might be something that might happen. Um, and the other thing, uh, as I said, when I was trying to say metaverse, I'm not, I wasn't joking. 
So why can't we scan the machine? When I was lucky enough to attend some of the medical big data conferences uh, two, three years ago, the doctors, the surgeons can attend the surgery uh, from the other side of the world and then they can and do have good progress uh, with robots. And it is when you think about the mining, it is a lot more um, flexible and it's not like that precise, which means we should be able to do it. And, 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 and the asteroid mining and the space mining, those are all the things that already has to be precise as medical industry. I think we should be able to uh, articulate them into mining so you can see the benefit and in a shorter term. Uh, and it is already happening, which is, as I said, it's exciting time for people uh, interested in the technical knowledge, technology applications. It's all we are in the uh, making the history together, I think, and which is exciting for all of us. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's some really fascinating insights. And I think what was kind of most interesting is all, all the stuff that you said really in, in many respects addresses a lot of the problems that we have now too, right? Like, you know, going to the to, to the metaverse and, and being able to remotely control stuff is not, we're not just doing it for fun, but like you said, that there's a, there's a safety imperative behind it, right? And there's a, a predictive capability imperative behind it. And even when you talk about 3D printing, I mean, that would solve a lot of our supply chain issues that we've got at the moment <laughs> too, right? So, um, you know, I know that, that everyone is, is really struggling for, for parts at the moment. So, um, Look, uh, I know you guys are super busy. Um, for, for our listeners, uh, this team uh, is actually their day off today. So I really, really appreciate you guys um, coming to, to, to speak to me today. I'm sure the audience will be uh, very appreciative of it. Um, thank you so much for your insight and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Rafe. I appreciate it. It was really nice to see you again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs>